But I'm going I'm to start by stating the obvious. Uh, now, did you realise that the Pentagon in Washington is aptly named? And you know why? Because it's a, it's a Pentagon. Okay, um, it, it's, it's a Pentagon, it's five stars. It's, it's, it's pretty committed, in fact, to being a Pentagon. Right? It's the world's second largest building, I'm not sure if you knew that. Um, it's got five sides and you go, well, I knew that, that's what a Pentagon has. But what you may not know is that it's actually made up of five Pentagons, one inside the other. It also has five storeys above the ground and two below. And it would also have to be the world's safest building. And not just because it happens to be the home base of the US military, but because of its design. And this actually came through on September 11, 2001, when the planes crashed into the 1,400-foot-tall World Trade Centre towers. You might remember, they just crumbled to the ground. When a plane crashed into the Pentagon on the same dreadful day, Though many people tragically died there also, it was far, far fewer people, even though there were probably more people in the actual building. The building itself endured with most of it unscathed, only a couple of the rings, of the five rings, on one side of it were harmed and it was able to be occupied and could function continually pretty much from that day onwards. Now, I think, why am I mentioning that? Just a for trivia? No, it's because it, you could draw a little bit of an analogy out of that for life. We live in a broken world and a broken world that challenges us and hits us in many different ways. And in such a world, there is something to be said for having a life that's shaped more like the Pentagon, not so much as it's got five sides, but that has got that enduring strength and stability to it rather than the one that maybe reaches for the sky, but is far more fragile. Last week, when we looked at the book of Proverbs and we began it, we saw, in a sense, the publisher's promo for it. Who wrote it? What's the benefit from studying it? Well, in this week's passage, we're going to look at five fundamental principles of being wise, of wisdom. Five key principles from God that when you join together as a whole are kind of like the imposing walls of the Pentagon. They, they can form a structure for your life and for living that is substantial, that will stand the test of time and will stay standing in the face of many challenges that life might throw you. Even if one or two of them are struck, the others remain. But before Solomon gives us five, these five fundamentals, which we'll get to, he establishes the general pattern for what he's going to say in these verses. So have a look at th chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. So what that shows, that there's kind of going to be two um, parts to these five fundamental principles. An instruction followed by a positive result that comes from keeping the instruction, Right? So here is the instruction, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Right, that's, there's the instruction. Don't forget, but keep. And one thing this signals right from the beginning, and you're going to hear this throughout the book of Proverbs, is that wisdom is founded on memory. Wisdom is founded on memory. It's no good merely to hear 
about what is wise and to have heard something helpful once. Wisdom that bounces off your eardrums is useless. You have to take wisdom so that wisdom goes where you go. You need to um, go inside you. Wisdom needs to be there with you always, ready for you to draw upon it in the time and place that you need to use it. So, for instance, this is why that the study of wisdom is kind of like we learn many things. So, you learn first aid, don't you, in a safe context where no one's got their arm chopped off, right? So that you can, you can practice the procedures on healthy people so that when an emergency happens, you don't need to waste precious time Googling what to do. You learn self-defence in classes where no one is actually your enemy or is really trying to attack you. So that when someone who does attack you for real, your reflexes are tuned, they're ready. So that memory might be a conscious memory, like you might learn the acronym DOCTORS ABCD, so D-R-S-A-B-C-D, of first aid. And so when the moment comes up, you remember, what's the acronym? D-R-S-A-B-C-D, so danger, response, send, airway, breathing, CPR and defibrillation. Right, there's my order, I'm now going to follow it out. I've remembered it, right, consciously. But the memory could also be muscle memory, couldn't it? So now whether it's the martial art that I was talking about before or maybe it's playing a piano scale and learning those on a musical instrument, you're so practised in what you've learned so that when the time comes when you need to do it, you just do it by reflex, it just automatically happens. See, if you want to be wise, you need to be somebody who remembers. You need to remember the wisdom that you've been taught. You're meant to cherish it in your heart so that it can be second nature. So either it's something that you've learned so that you can recall it or it's something that you do by reflex. But you need to remember it. And the positive result of remembering the instruction, look at verse 2, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. So the thing that Solomon says straight from the bat is wisdom works, right? It, it, it works, you put your average wise person next to your average fool and nine times out of ten, the wise person is going to be enjoying peace and well-being in a more lasting fashion than the fool's going to be. The Holy Spirit, through His servant Solomon, is telling us that wisdom works. And we need to hear that. Wisdom genuinely makes your life better. God says so. But we need to recognise how wisdom works. So wisdom works, I'm thinking this will work, you can let me know, give me feedback afterwards, it kind of works a bit more like a recipe than it does, say, a mathematical formula or a law of physics. All right, let, let, let me explain what I mean. So two plus two always will give you four. Right? Two objects that are falling in a vacuum on planet Earth, even if one is a bowling ball and one of them is a feather, will always fall at an acceleration of 9.8 metres per second squared. All right? That's just gravity. And it will always work that way in a vacuum. But I give you a good recipe for paella and you're following it faithfully, well, while it will work most of the time, sometimes it's going to work better than others. 
You know, if any one of you cooked, you know that. You can follow the same recipe and it doesn't always work out exactly the same. It won't always taste identical every single time you cook it. So, for instance, maybe the gas burner isn't providing the consistent heat. Maybe the brand of rice that I chose was slightly different and the absorption rates take longer or shorter. Maybe the stock wasn't as good as the other one that I used. Maybe maybe you had to use extra virgin oil because you didn't have the sort of normal virgin oil, whatever. Maybe you got distracted and started talking to your guests or your phone was out of battery so you didn't get the timing right and and you, you had to do a bit more guessing than working like clockwork, right? In other words, with a recipe, it's more like there are more variables at place. There's lots of variables, ingredients, the utensils, the appliances you're using, and not least, the variants, the variables that are inherent in the cook themselves, right? The more you're in control of all of the variables, the more consistent the results of the recipe are going to turn out, but sometimes things just aren't always under your control. And wisdom kind of works like that. Life in the world that God has made for us tends to work certain ways. That's why wisdom generally works. But at the same time, life has many, many variables that are not under a person's control. Creation itself, other people, your own limitations the spiritual realm, and an all-wise, all-knowing, sovereign God whose thoughts are above our thoughts and whose ways are above our ways and beyond them, is the ultimate agent in everything. And so that's why, as we learned last week, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that's going to undergird what we're going to look at today. But an essential part of wisdom is knowing that His sovereignty overrides our sovereignty. So, one of the key things we need to be clear on as we look at these kind of wisdom terms and expression is that we take care not to take these wisdom statements as if they apply like some inviolable metaphysical laws of the universe that always produce the same expected results without any variation. No, they're wisdom statements. They're not laws of physics. They give guidance from God, our Creator, on the best way to live in the world that He's made and what you can generally expect as a result if you live that way. But they are not promises from God that constrain His sovereignty. God will always do what God will do. He will always do what is good and right with respect to us but it will not always follow the recipe. Just ask Job. So, having said all that, and having been given the pattern, let's have a look. Let's have a look at these five fundamentals of wisdom. And the first fundamental is slightly different to the four that follow, because you see, the rest of these are going to address four ways that we are to respond to God, but the first one is more about how we reflect God's character in our own character and the way we relate to other people. So, let's have a look at verse 3 there. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Now, I think that's a, a remarkable first fundamental to give to the Son of the King, because that's who's being addressed here. Not 
let honour and glory, not let power and might, not even let justice and rule, but let love and faithfulness never depart from you. Make those things, love and faithfulness, a necklace that adorns your life. Write them on your heart, as if these virtues were labels that describe your heart, that own your heart, your motivations, your desire, your very will. Why? Why are love and faithfulness so fundamental for wisdom? Well, love here, there's a few words that get translated love in, in, the, in the Bible. And love here is a very, very important biblical word called chesed, right? It's a word that turns up nearly 250 times in the Old Testament. But by far the most often, at a ratio of three to one, it is used to describe God's love for His people. Three times for every one time it's talking about our love for others. It talks about the kindness and steadfast love that God has, honouring His promises, caring for His people through thick and thin, and even through their own rebellion, even despite their own sin, His steadfast love, that kind of love, chesed, that's the one that's being used here. That's the love we are to show to others. And that's why it's so often paired with faithfulness, love and faithfulness, like they go together as it is here. This is the character of a God that brings blessing to people so graciously and continuously and truthfully. And here we're told, what God is for you, you are to be for other people. And that is wisdom. That's wisdom. Well, what will result from being a person whose character is governed and described by love and faithfulness? Verse 4, then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. If you just think about that, that rings true, doesn't it? That that passes the the real-life test. Those things really do impact the way others treat us and the way we treat others. Is it not true that the people that you tend to admire in life deeply, the people who tend to have a who you think have got a healthy dose of good sense, they just seem to have their head screwed on. You know those kind of people? That's what's being talked about here, that it's, it's right judgment. We will, they will be viewed with right judgment in our eyes. Well, they're the people that are, are kind to others and trustworthy and reliable and gracious. They're not the people that fly off the handle. They don't hold vendettas. They follow through on their promises. They care for people who need it. They're consistent in their kindness and their reliability and their trustworthiness. They're the people that you say, now that person's got their head screwed on, isn't it? And they're the ones that you say, oh, they're a good person, using that generic sort of language. We trust the trustworthy more than we trust the faithless. We act with grace towards the gracious, not the self-absorbed and selfish. But let's not overlook the most important figure in verse 4. It's not just the favour and respect of people that godly character receives. God Himself is pleased with what He sees. And that should be one of the things that just sits biggest in our minds when we hear this that God Himself will look on you with favour and regard you as somebody who's got their head screwed on, who acts rightly, 
God will think that of you. If you carry yourself with his character, love and faithfulness. So all in all, that's not a bad piece of wisdom. You're going to have one of the walls on your Pentagon building, that's a pretty good one to have. Do you want people to deal graciously and respectfully with you? Do you want God to be pleased with how you are living your life? Then don't ever let love and faithfulness leave you. Don't ever go, you know what, I just couldn't be bothered anymore. Learn them and live them consistently. And when you see they're slipping away, grab them back. Be reliable, be trustworthy, be kind like God is. God-like wisdom has love at the very centre of it. And isn't that a great starting point for this list? All right, the other four fundamentals of wisdom are really about how we act towards God. So the second fundamental of wisdom is in verses 5 and 6 and it really tackles who you look to for guidance. Look at verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. He says, because the Lord is full of loving kindness and faithfulness, like we've just talked about, that wisdom means you trust Him because you can and you can trust Him completely because He's perfectly loving and faithful. And unlike the last point, this one has got a negative word to accompany the positive word and lean not on your own understanding. If there is going to be a pillar to lean on in your life and to keep leaning on through your life, a source of knowledge that you are going to be guided by and are going to depend upon, make sure of this. Make sure it's someone who knows all of the mysteries of the universe and not someone with a brain the size of a bread roll. How about that? Make sure it's someone who governs the future and not somebody who makes guesses about it. And make sure it is someone who really, truly has your well-being at heart and whose love and faithfulness are absolute constants and who knows you better than you know yourself. In other words, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The call of wisdom is to reject decisively that great folly that humanity has lived by ever since the darkest, that darkest of days back in Eden. That folly that thinks that life in God's world is going to be better if we seek our own wisdom and not His. That's the first and greatest mistake of humanity. Wisdom calls out as our Lord Jesus did in another garden when He said, yet not my will but yours. That's wisdom. And the result of trusting in the Lord, verse 6, in all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. That first phrase literally reads, in all your ways know Him, right? Uh, And I think the sense here is this, that in every road, because there's there's two words for roadway in this, right? So that's the the poetry of it, right? In In every road that you journey down in your life, know God as you walk it. Know God as you walk it. Carry the knowledge of Him around with you like a map, 
that you can trust to guide you wherever you go. You keep looking to His Word, keep asking for His guidance by praying to Him and God will make your path straight. Not easy, not short, but straight. The way ahead will be clear. He will guide you along it. And you can trust that He who began a work in you, as Paul says in Philippians, will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Well, the third fundamental of wisdom is the central point of the five, and that shouldn't surprise us, because it's the, it's the founding principle of wisdom that we looked at last week. Wisdom trusts the Lord, but wisdom also knows that we answer to Him. Again, Solomon provides us with a negative and a positive, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So, the central principle of wisdom is to remember before whom your whole life is lived. And always remember that. And the answer to that question is, not you. Not you. The most important person in the world is, not you. The person whose opinion matters most in the world is not yours and nor is it the opinion of anyone else, regardless of how many thumbs up you might get on your Facebook post. Virtue signalling is pointless and a vain exercise because it's before the eyes that don't matter. Wisdom knows that at the end of the day, the most critical thing is not whether you can look at yourself in the mirror, but the one day you're going to look the judge of all the earth in the eye. That's what you need to know for the end of the day. You've got to look Jesus in the eye. There's wisdom, knowing that. The fear of the Lord is remembering in everything who my God is. Remembering in everything who my God is. That He is holy and that He is just and that He is the Lord of all the earth, that He was and He is and He is to come. That He's the Alpha and the Omega, He's the beginning and the end and you never forget that. And when I remember that, I think twice before engaging in anything that he's not in favour of, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? I'm going to shun evil. Now, to shun is to turn aside from it. Um, and not in a, oh, uh, thanks, but, but no, thanks, I probably shouldn't kind of way, right? Look, that's better than doing it. <laughs> but it's more like I might step around something that my dog left on the back lawn. That's the way I think about evil. In other words, it, it's a healthy fear of the Lord says, I want nothing to do with it. I don't want anything to do with what is wicked. I am going to walk in the opposite direction. I'm saying, no, not interested, go away. And that is wisdom. I mean, we saw that in that song, wisdom is what you say no to, as well as what you say yes to. Why would I mess with things that I know God's going to bring under judgment? That makes no sense at all. You can't call that wisdom. Um, I cherish God's presence. Why on earth would I jeopardise that by corrupting myself with what is unholy and that He rejects? It just makes no sense. It 
cannot be wisdom to do that. I want to be wise in God's eyes. I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I couldn't care less what the, what the Twitter world thinks. This is how we saw Jesus respond. Remember when he was tempted in the wilderness? Evil had no appeal to him. Pleasing God did. They said, I remember what God wrote about this. I remember what my father said. No, Satan, go away. Not interested. You know, the wonderful thing about fearing God is that it is actually the key to a flourishing life. Not a scared life, a flourishing one. Remembering in everything who my God is means that I'm shunning that which corrupts and harms and instead I'm embracing what's right and what is true. See, unlike wisdom, evil doesn't work and staying away from it is a blessing. Verse 8, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So, let's recap. First fundamental of wisdom, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Second, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Third, fear the Lord and shun evil. And the fourth has us responding to the reality of God as well, but this one seems to be a lot more specific. Verse 9, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Trust the Lord, check. Fear the Lord, check. And honour the Lord. And the word for honour or glory comes from the Hebrew word that means being heavy. All right, it's a metaphor, to be heavy. And when you ponder that, heavy and honour, glory, it makes sense, doesn't it? To honour someone is to give them weight. It's the opposite, if you think about our expression, English expression, to take someone lightly, right? Honouring them is the opposite of that. You don't take them lightly. You take them seriously. They have weight. But Solomon doesn't say, honour the Lord with your words, which he could have said, and certainly good to do. He doesn't say, honour God with some kind of ceremony. If you hold your hand like that, he's especially honoured. You know, like, it's not something like that. But honour the Lord with your wealth, specifically, very specifically. Why? Why has he picked that? Why is that the one he picks to say, that's how to honour God? Why, when he's addressing fundamental principles of wisdom, does he then get very specific about how the wise person should honour God? Because Solomon is putting his finger on the greatest day-to-day competitor for God in a person's life. Their wealth, their money, their stuff, or should we say, our wealth, our money, our stuff, or at least that's the way we think about it. The New Testament equates greed one for one with idolatry. Greed, idolatry. Now, what we understand about greed is greed is not saying, oh, I want more, but it's also saying what I have I'm keeping for myself. It's making an idol out of our possessions. And did you notice that even the ordering of this wisdom fundamental is specific, with the first fruits of your crops. Did you notice that part there? Honour God as the first priority of your wealth, not as some kind of subsequent afterthought once you've dealt with the things that you honour more than Him. Higher financial priorities. 
We show who matters most, who has the most weight in our thinking by who gets our money first. Me? My family? Sorry, it's all going to my family? Or God? Where, where is God in the ordering? And there is another big reason for honouring God with our wealth. He's the source of it all anyway. He gave it to you and ultimately it's His. Look at what Solomon says is the result of honouring Him and this kind of shows that. Look at verse 10. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So how can you give but then have your barns overflow? How, how can you put your first fruits to the work of the temple, as it would have meant back then, and end up with your vats brimming over? Because God's putting back into them. You're giving out of them, so how's it getting filled again? You're depending upon God to do it. God will honour those who honour Him. Now, the wisdom here is not generous people tend to succeed in life. It is God's the source of everything... He's the true king of his people and so when they honour him, he looks after them. That, that's the logic here. Now remember, we're dealing with wisdom. This is not a promise, it is a principle. You cannot do with this proverb what the prosperity evangelists do with this proverb and say, see, God promises you health, wealth and success if you give to his work, i.e. me right? Because God is still sovereign and God might actually have better plans for you than you being rich. You realise that? He might have better plans for you than you being rich. But what this is, is a recognition that God is pleased when we put Him first and He will look after us, certainly spiritually but also materially. In some way or another, He will show His faithful love to us in response and we would be wise to recognise this. You see, Jesus teaches the same thing in Matthew 6. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the people who don't know God, run after all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Let God look after you, don't worry about it. He sees, you seek His kingdom, He's looking after you, that's what He does, He's your God, He loves you. And Jesus also makes the same point with a negative example in the parable that He tells in Luke um, and, and notice His language here because He brings wisdom and foolishness into it. This is Luke 12, then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I've no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you fool, not a wise person, you're a fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you and then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? 
This, Jesus says, is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. See, the fool, what did the fool do? The fool forgot who God is. The fool forgets that God is sovereign over what you have today and He's sovereign over what you're going to have tomorrow. The fool thinks that he can dishonour God, idolise what God has given him, put God low down on his list of financial priorities and then expect God to bless him. That's foolish. But the wise person fears the Lord, remembering in everything who their God is. The wise person trusts the Lord, the wise person knows His faithful love and so the wise person is going to honour their Saviour and Lord with their wealth, with the first fruits of their crops. And the fifth fundamental wisdom principle is an important one to hold side by side with this and with all the others. See, so much that Solomon has said about the course of wisdom, you'll notice in the responses, right, is, is that it leads to health and, and peace and a good name and things like nourishment and safety and even abundance, right? But it doesn't always. But it doesn't always. Sometimes, wisdom is this, sometimes God will deliberately withhold such things. So, even if it normally works in a certain way, sometimes God will deliberately withhold such things. He is still sovereign and He is free to act in accordance with His wisdom. My actions do not bind His actions. God is not a vending machine, nor is God an overindulgent father. God's actually wiser, far wiser than we are. And not everything that is truly good for us is pleasant. Right? That, that's, the wise person knows that, that not everything that's good for us is always pleasant, especially when we're sinners and we live in a broken world. Wisdom understands this. Look at verse 11 and 12. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent His rebuke because the Lord disciplines those He loves as a father, the son He delights in. And notice that there is no expected result at the end of this piece of wisdom. There's no if, then. There is simply the wonderful assurance of a because. Of a because. What's the wisdom here? The wisdom is on how we deal with disappointment, with hardship, with shame, with painful correction whilst remembering in everything who our God is. Right? How, how do we deal with that? Wisdom says, if you know God is, you don't despise, you don't reject painful correction. And when God rebukes us, it literally tells us not to loathe it, not to dread it. When we go, oh, this is horrible, you know, hang on. Wisdom says I need to think there's another thing, another bit of information in my experience right now that I need to reflect upon. Now, we might ask, how do I know if the hardship I'm experiencing is the Lord's rebuke or not? And that's a fair question. After all, Job's suffering, if you're familiar with the book, is famously the consequence of his conspicuous 
righteousness, not his sin. Well, the context here from verse 1 is Solomon's exhortation to his son to remember his laws, right? To keep his commands. So, I take it that the rebukes of the Lord that are being spoken here are primarily found in His Word, right? So, when His Word rebukes us, because foolishly, even if we just use this very passage as an example, when His Word rebukes us because we've been sitting there, we've been thinking, you know what? I've let love and faithfulness leave me. And I'm hearing God say, don't let that. I've leaned on my own understanding. I haven't been trusting Him. And I'm hearing God say that. I've indulged evil, I haven't shunned it. I'm playing around with it. I've honoured myself with my wealth. I've idolised my family with my wealth. I've given God off cuts. And we experience hardship. We get down. We feel do I really want to hear this? Because I've failed to heed His wisdom. That's God's rebuke. It's God chastening of you. He's been putting that and saying, you're wrong. And you need to hear that. So this final aspect to wisdom is an indispensable truth to carry through life. I mean, even if you think of the example of Job, right? Yes, he was righteous. But the book also makes it clear that there was wisdom that Job needed to learn. And then at the end of the book, he comes to acknowledge. So even though he was righteous, he needed shaping. Not just his simplistic friends. Job needed shaping, even though he was a good guy. But from the beginning of the book of Job, we know how much God loved him through all of this. In fact, it was for that reason. It was because God was so um, overjoyed with Job that Satan made his accusations that God had to refute in the first place. And so this final aspect of wisdom, as I said, is this indispensable truth to carry through life. Don't dread rebuke. Don't see it as an enemy. Don't resent it. Don't read hatred into it. Don't read evil being done to me in hardship. Why? Verse 12, because the Lord disciplines the ones He loves. And as a father, the son, He delights in. If I hate all hardship, if I hate being corrected, then I'm hating God loving me. I'm loathing the Lord delighting in me, or an expression of that, because He cares enough to shape me. The writer of Hebrews actually quotes this proverb word for word. And after he quotes quotes it, look at what he says. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons or daughters at all. And moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And you want to know why the writer of Hebrews 
stuck that in there is because there's a big challenge throughout the book of Hebrews to say, stop falling back. Stop treating God's sanctif- death, Christ's death for you like it doesn't matter as much as the law of Moses. Stop doing it. It's one big correction and rebuke. But it's got this wonderful pastoral message there that says, don't despise this. Hear it and go, thanks God, that's what I needed to hear. That tells me that you really love me. And so there we have it. Five fundamental principles for living wisely in the world God has made. Five things, you do these, you conduct your, it's a Pentagon kind of life, right? But in a good sense. All right, five principles to remember consciously, but also learn them so that they are part of how you, your spiritual reflex to this world. Wisdom that you always have ready. Never let love and faithfulness leave you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Honour the Lord with your wealth and embrace God's love for you even when that love takes the form of a rebuke. You practice those things and your life will be better for it. Let me close by praying Paul's words from Ephesians 1 for all of us. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, glorious Father, give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you've called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and your incomparably great power for us who believe. Father, give us your wisdom. May we remember it always and live it out to the praise of your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.